Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Monument Church Podcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Well, today uh, we are beginning um, our Advent series, our Advent sermon series, and it's entitled The Songs of Christmas. And in it, we're going to look at uh, three of the original carols that were sung around the first Christmas. And getting us out the blocks today is Mary's carol, Mary's song. But before we examine her lyrics, I want to give us a bit of background about how she came to write and sing this uh, song. So, Ash, if you could please uh, read from Luke 1, verse 26, please. Great. So let's just check we got the plot here. Fifteen or so years old, betrothed to be married uh, to Joseph, virgin. Angel appears and says, you are going to miraculously conceive Jesus, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. Angel also says, you're not in it alone totally because your relative Elizabeth, way older than you, she's also having a miraculous birth. Um, it's miraculous for her because she's so old and her husband Zechariah is even older. But they, they had a, a baby through natural means, but it's a miracle because they're so old. So the angel was hooking her up in community in this calling slash crisis that she had. Did you notice the final words that the angel said to Mary? For nothing will be impossible with God. And I know this isn't our, we're trying to get to the song, but I feel sure that God wants to imprint on many of us today that nothing is impossible with God. That's what the angel was saying. Mary, you're going to have an immaculate, miraculous conception. No sex with any human, you're just going God is going to do a creative miracle in you. And this child is going to be none other than the son of God, the God man, Jesus. It's nothing's impossible with God, Mary. Now you might be thinking, I've got something in my life that requires a significant miracle from God, maybe this size. That's a fair sized miracle. Miracle of immaculate conception. The miracle you need, nothing is impossible with God. Now, friends, faith is so important. God loves faith. Hebrews 3 speaks of two groups of people. One heard the word of God like you're hearing it today. It's not the only forum we hear the word of God, but like we're hearing it today. And they mixed it with faith. So it's like the word came, they're mixing it with faith. Inside their mouth, they're going, Lord, that's wonderful. I've got that situation. They're just muttering to themselves. I've got that situation that's this big. Thank you that nothing is impossible with you. Mixing it with faith. The other group in Hebrews 3 didn't mix it with faith. God loves faith. Brothers and sisters, friends, believe. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Her response to the angel is equally important. She said... I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be done unto me according to his will. If you're a Christ follower, are you able to respond like that? If you're exploring Christianity, you might not be able to respond like that. 
But if you've crossed the line of faith and already made Jesus your Lord, that's how we respond. Wonderfully, the Bible says we're children of God. It's fantastic. But here we're getting behind what Mary says, that we are also servants of God. And this is not an option for a Christ follower. Oh, Christianity, Jesus, he's so cute. I like to cuddle him sometimes. He brings me peace sometimes because life's different. There's a crown there as well. We're his servants. We pay homage to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Mary is helping us already. Be it done unto me according to your will. Not what, not what I want, but your will. Does that remind you of anybody? 33 years eight later, this child within her, hours before he went to the cross, would say in the agony of prayer, not my will be done, but yours. Standard operating procedure for Christ followers is you're my king. Let your will be done in my life. Okay, we're getting closer to the song, but let's do a bit more background. This is fantastic. Can you imagine the relief Mary must have felt? It says she hastened to the hill country to go and see Elizabeth. The poor girl. So far, she's, she's had this angelic encounter. She's got a crisis teenage pregnancy. She goes to this older woman, uh, also a believer, called Elizabeth. And as she comes in for a greeting, remember Elizabeth's six months, Mary's just beginning. As she comes in for the greeting, the one who will be John the Baptist inside Elizabeth, six months old, fetus, child, leaps for joy. And, and Elizabeth is helped by the Spirit of God to immediately join the dots. And she starts affirming Mary. She goes from, hey, Mary, good to see you. Wow. You're carrying the Savior of the world. You are so, they haven't even had a hug and a kiss. You are so blessed. You're blessed. You're, car you're carrying the saviour of the world. If I'm Mary, I'm thinking, I'm not crazy after all. Because all she had had is the voice of an angel. And you, like, was I, was I delusional? Was that a dream? Was that, did that really happen? And I've missed my first period. But hey, you missed the odd period, right? And I felt a bit of a flutter. I don't know if it was the baby or was it gas <laughs> you just and you're 15 and then this older woman gets it from the Lord and she affirms and encourages the thrill of Christian community the thrill of brothers and sisters and older mothers and fathers in the Lord to hear from the, and affirm and say you're not nuts God's at work. I know it's tough. I know it doesn't look like it, but God's at work. The joy of Christian community. Friends, lean into it. Don't lean out. Let's increasingly lean in. And the other thing I love is that John the Baptist leaps for joy when he encounters Jesus. He's only six months old and he leaps for joy. He doesn't adopt a rather sensible position. And leap for joy with Christmas carols, because that's... No, he's... This is the saviour. It's not institutional Christianity. Not going through the... It's, this is the saviour. It's a leaping for joy. 
And that's what the Psalms in the Old Testament speaks, isn't it, about how we worship. I know individually and collectively we aspire to that. I know it's not always easy with reading, you know, words off a thing. But even, maybe you'll want to, you know, leap for joy. That was the best leap I can do and I nearly pulled a groin muscle doing that. <laughs> but even if we're not li literally leaping for joy, our voices are. Hark the herald! We're, we're leaping. It's fun getting to know a new venue, isn't it? We're expressive. In our, we're, it's not a Christmas. It's Christmas. I know, you know, we've, we have fun with trees and hats and costumes, all that kind of thing. That's, that's the fun around the edges. But the real leaping for joy is he came. And he will come back. We leap for joy. So this little passage is instructive on worship. It's also instructive on when life begins. You know, there's a bit of debate about that. There shouldn't be. It's not this big mystery about when life begins. You've got a six-month-old pregnancy. This God is clearly forming personality by then. This child is able to hear from the Lord, sense God, and leap, respond, and worship or acknowledgement of who the Lord is and what he's doing. That's instructive and helpful, isn't it? And now we get to this song, this first carol. Let's hear it. What a three months those two must have had together, right? Both pregnant, both with the Lord having spoken to them. And next week we're looking at Zachariah's song. So we'll touch on a little bit of Elizabeth and Zachariah and John, baby John's story. But what a three months they must have had. But this is her song. This is the carol, and just a, a little warning up front. In the few minutes we've got looking at it, it's not a cute little teenage Christmas jingle bell song. It's a song of war, so preparest, thouest, yourselfest. It's called the Magnificat because she starts off saying, my soul, my inner being, my emotions, who I am, magnifies the Lord. Magnifies means to fill, allow something to fill one's gaze. What does she magnify? Well, point number one is she magnifies the Lord, not herself. The whole song is magnifying the Lord, not herself. I, I, I think that Mary up in heaven now is probably less comfortable than some may think with a lot of the magnification that Mary, the mother of God, she gets in some sectors of today's church. Certainly with good intent, and I don't want to rubbish things, but I'm just looking at her lyrics. This is a girl who didn't want the limelight. In fact, to be more precise, she wanted the limelight to be on the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Not my soul magnifies me. Not my soul gets caught up now in all that God has entrusted me with. No, it's a magnification of God, not herself. Friends, it is deadly to magnify ourselves. God has not created us to magnify ourselves. And counterintuitively, if we make ourselves bigger, not the Lord bigger, we actually shrink and shrivel into fear, anxiety, and we become less than we've been created to be. But if we magnify the Lord, somehow we get magnified and our world and emotions and joy and peace get bigger. Jesus phrased it like this. If you lose your life, for my sake, you will find it. 
He said, I know it's counterintuitive, but if you seek first your own magnification, you won't get it. But if you seek first my magnification, the magnification of my kingdom, of my rule, then you will get it. All these things will be added unto you. That's at the end of Matthew 6. And we need to be astute friends, not just at what the Bible says, but at what culture says. In the days when there were newspapers, preachers would say, have a Bible under one arm and a newspaper under the other. Now it's, be well trained in what the Bible says and be well trained in what's going on on social media and the pressures of our culture because there is an absolute massive, continuous onslaught for each of us saying, look out for number one, make yourself magnified. It's called individualism. Individualism is taking a healthy respect for the individual too far and making it godlike. And we must, if you're sitting there thinking that does, hasn't affected me, you're dreaming. It's affected all of us. It hits us for, in every pore, from every angle, all the time. There's a real clue in letters number two and three of the name of our nation. An author called Wolf spoke of the 1970s as the me decade. How much more? The 2020s. This decade we live in, life now, says you are not authentic unless you do exactly what you feel. The Bible says completely the opposite. The Bible says preach the word whether you're in the mood or not. Worship God whether you're in the mood or not. Why so downcast, though, my soul? Individualism says, hey, if you're downcast, don't worship God because you're hypocritical. The Bible says, worship, why so downcast, though, my soul? Put, put your hope in God. The Bible says God's worthy. That we lay our own feelings, and we don't ignore them, but we lay them back because he's worthy and we live for him. Individualism, beware. Often as American Christians, we speak about believers in Africa who are syncretistic or dualistic. They worship Jesus on Sunday and they bow down to their ancestors on Wednesday and it happens. It's true. And we kind of think in the Western world that we're, we're not into that stuff. We're so into that stuff. Worship Jesus Sunday, bow down to self Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sometimes bow down to self on Sunday. So I'm not in the mood. What's, what's this? I'm not in the mood. He's Lord. He's Lord. I think that's a crown, isn't it? Is that a crown? In... This is great, man. Love preaching with kids in the room. Individualism. Don't make yourself Lord. Don't make other people Lord. Don't make a political leader Lord. Don't magnify. I, I wouldn't rubbish. See, see the, the revolution here is that Mary didn't grovel in herself. She didn't say, I'm going to, out of true humility, just disappear so it's all the Lord. Don't do that. You'll get into weird stuff. You'll get into a type of humility that's a sort of obsequious pride. True humility comes not from woe is me, but great is he. True balance in life just comes from magnifying the Lord. If we allow the Lord and his agenda to fill our gaze, we'll find our right size in our own lives. Political leaders will find their right size in our lives. Don't magnify political leaders. 
Magnify the Lord. I wouldn't rubbish political leaders. We get into trouble with one another when we do that. Magnify the Lord. And political leaders and which party and election results, they'll find their, their place. Mary's song is a song of war. It's going after us. Who's on the throne? Who's being magnified? Is it me? This 15-year-old little pregnant girl, pretty little Christmas carol, song of war. Is there a crown? Is me on the throne or is it Jesus? Over-politicization in America. Not going for one party or the other. I'm going after the idolatrous God of politics. When we magnify that, instead of magnifying the Lord, everything gets out of kilter. Pastors, quick, quick question and answer. Are there any scars on my hands? Side. Sorry, didn't mean to stumble you all. What about my feet? If I took my shoes off, feet, scars, no, not saviour. But you don't need to belittle pastors. That's not what the message is. It's magnify the Lord. We get into, no, we don't need, we, less of that and more of that, then we get into silliness. We don't need leaders, don't need spiritual authority, all that kind of thing, nonsense. But the balance comes from all of us magnifying the Lord. Then, then we find our right places. Parents, have you got good parents? Bad parents, magnify the Lord. Are your kids doing well or doing badly? Magnify the Lord. That, 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 the, that those emotions about your kids will find the right place. We magnify the Lord. What about pain? That's a tricky one. You know when we're in pain? It's tempting to put the magnifying glass on it, isn't it? You know, overlook over about what this, these symptoms could be. What's life expectancy? How will it turn out? Other types of pain, jealousy, betrayal, bitterness towards me, difficult things like that. What should we do? Magnify the Lord. My soul chooses to magnify the Lord. And it's beautiful. Mary assures us that we can train our souls about where to put the magnifying glass. Magnify the Lord. Secondly, Mary magnifies God's love for the insignificant. She, she talks about God casting down the rich and the famous and the rulers and exalting the lowly. Don't you love her complete lack of smugness? Like she doesn't say, you know, I, I was just a beautiful gifted genius waiting to be discovered. And I knew I was special all along. And Gabriel, <laughs> it's actually no surprise. My moment has finally come. There's, there's just none of that, right? She's just, wow. She's seriously me and you, bless me. And she doesn't stay on herself long. Great is he, not woe is me, is where we find true balance and humility. She marvels, gobsmacked, that God is doing great things for me, little old me. God delights in the humble. He actually opposes the proud. It's a bit scary, that, isn't it? He, 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 he lifts up the humble. Big theme of Christ's ministry is lifting up the downtrodden, the un underdog. Our culture loves somebody's 
God is very attentive to nobodies. He loves somebodies as well, but he's particularly attentive to nobodies. Isn't, isn't that encouraging? I'm just looking around. I mean, usually I look in the mirror at this point, think, oh, that is so encouraging. <laughs> that God looks past the popular cheerleader, prom queen, to the wallflower sitting on her own in the lunch hall. And he looks at that. This is why we are so confident that the Lord is graciously going to use us to advance his kingdom here in Frederick, as well as Gaithersburg, and soon in Baltimore. What? Baltimore? Big scary city of Baltimore. Yeah, he loves to use hackers like us. Do you know what a hacker is? Does that translate into American? It's what it sounds like. It's a plonker. It's another great word, English word. Plonker. You plonker. It is exactly what it sounds like it is. PJ, you plonker. Yes. God loves to use plonkers. This is a song about how God loves to use plonkers. Is this not encouraging that you are noticed, that we are noticed? Not many mighty are chosen by the Lord. I think it's because God particularly delights to put his grace and strength on display through those that the world would regard as weak. What a song. It makes me want to go to war. It brings me peace and encouragement. God loves the lowly. He finds lowly Mary and makes her the mother of God. Number three, Mary magnifies the Lord despite the cost, please say cost, of following the Lord. You can, it's not ultimately a cost, but there are moments that are very costly when we're, when we're following the Lord. And uh, her obedience, she still magnifies the Lord, even though she felt immediately the, the, the stress of this teenage pregnancy, the scandal of out of wedlock. Back then it was a huge deal. She would have registered the story that no one's going to believe. Imagine, imagine you have this conversation. I'm pregnant. How did you get pregnant? Who with? I didn't even have sex. No guy involved, just angels speaking, God, miracle. Imagine the likely rejection by the husband's family, likely single motherhood, and maybe she just sensed what was ahead of her. I don't know. But maybe she sensed all the thrill but the pain that she would endure in Jesus' adult years. Dreams of a quiet little rural life in the Sea of Galilee. Yet she magnifies the Lord. In the face of this massive disruption, she magnifies the Lord. Mary did not just add a little bit of Jesus onto her life. She made him her whole life. That's, that's like us. Like us. And finally, Mary magnifies her personal, personal, personal need of a saviour says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. My Savior. 
hang on, who's this talking? Well, it's, it's Mary, the mother of God, talking. Is she not... Is she not touted and hailed as the most virtuous woman? Maybe follow distant second Mother Teresa. Is she not touted across the earth by so many as the most virtuous human being? And yet she says, you need me as your mother, but I need you as my saviour. My saviour, Mary, saying, I need a saviour, my saviour. Those two words are probably, in, in terms of the truth that they present, they're probably the most helpful two words for those of us who are exploring Christianity. And if this is the line of faith, of belief in Jesus as Lord, you're getting a bit closer, getting a bit closer, you've moved back a bit, and then you get a bit closer again. And... Sorry, it's Christmas nearly. And you get closer and you get closer and you nearly cross. This, this could be the bit that just gets you over the line of faith. It's certainly the bit that helps those of us who have crossed the line of faith. And we're edging deeper into, into faith territory, aren't we? Hopefully every week, every, every month, every year. It's the bit that causes us to leap for joy like John the Baptist in his mother's womb. What truth am I talking about? This truth. The truth of the Christian gospel, that heaven is not full of virtuous people, it's full of forgiven people. That's a leaping for joy truth. I'm heaven bound, not because I'm virtuous, but because I'm forgiven. The Bible throbs with this, not just in Mary's carol about, I need a saviour, virtuous Mary needs a saviour. The whole, the whole Bible speaks of this. That we become righteous, not because of our own doing, but because of Christ's doing. The Apostle Paul describes someone who's, who steps over the line of faith into belief in Jesus as Lord as someone who's placed in Christ. So if this is you, when you cross the line of faith, this and I'm Jesus, stretch your imaginations, I do appreciate that, you... Jesus, when you cross the line of faith, this is what happens to you. Paul says you get placed in Christ. That means when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see PJ, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. The Bible says I've got Jesus' robes of righteousness on me. That makes me so free and safe. I can't lose my salvation because I wasn't the one who earned my salvation. And Jesus thundered this across and stories that he told and people he encountered. He said there was a man with two sons. Younger son, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Older son, like Mary, but a boy, stayed at home, worked the farm, goody two-shoes. Anyway, punchline at the end of the story, I'm going fast. It's the younger son who receives salvation from the Lord, not the older brother. It's not good people who get into heaven, it's forgiven people. Prostitutes, Pharisees, there's always these stand standoffs. And the prostitutes, not just because they're prostitutes, but because they're prostitutes who put their faith in Jesus, they're forgiven and heaven bound. Yet the Pharisees, who hide in their own self-righteousness, 
thinking that because they're better than others, God will accept them. I don't know what religion that is. It's some freaky, funky, fake Christian religion. It's nothing to do with the religion of the Bible. Ephesians 2 thunders it out. We're saved by grace, not by our works. Now, of course, as this truth of acceptance and forgiveness seeps into us as we eke our way into faith territory and learn, it empowers us to be more virtuous. And wonderfully, on days and moments that we're not, we don't collapse in a heap of guilt and condemnation because we're not in faith territory because we're virtuous in the first place, but because of the work of Jesus. Friends, this, this first carol of Mary is loaded with who's on your throne, you or Jesus, politics, pain, people. Who are you magnifying? Because that which we magnify is our true Lord. It brings peace and assurance for those of us insignificant ones. And it's so instructive in salvation. The salvation comes from being forgiven, not from being virtuous. More virtuous you will become as you receive God's grace. But we, 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 we act virtuously not to earn God's acceptance, but in response to God's acceptance. Hallelujah. What a carol, a little 15-year-old pregnant girl. All this truth through God's word, the power of God's spirit. I pray each one of you, each one of us would be deeply stirred and provoked to live like Mary, trust like Mary, to leap for joy like John the Baptist in his mother's womb. And Mary in the song, she's leaping for joy. I wonder if she skipped around Elizabeth's house up in the hills singing it. I don't know what she did, but it's done us so much good. Let's pray. Hey, thank you for listening. Monument is a growing church pointing people to Jesus and planting churches in the greater D.C. area. For more sermons or information, please hop on to www.monumentchurchdc.com.